You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. Hello and welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comics from all eras. I am your horror host, Wes Deadair Nipe. Just a reminder, big thanks to Rick Hunter for the use of our intro and outro music, and Chris Begarin for our wonderful art that we use for the podcast. If you're just joining us, we promised last week that we are going to be starting our Archie Palooza. That means that we are going to be tackling Afterlife with Archie and also The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Archie Comics, I feel, needs little to no introduction to anyone that would be listening to this podcast. I think that even if you're not a comic book fan, you know what the Archies are. Not only is the fact that there is a popular show, Riverdale, that's on these days, but also the fact that these Archie books were just available everywhere. I mean, the grocery store had the double digests in it always at the checkout line. They still do. I mean, I work at a grocery store and we always have Archie books ready and waiting. Those were my window into the Archie universe, those old double digests. And I think that the popularity of Archie comes from not only its accessibility, but also its familiarity. This has been written about countless times, but, you know, in order to tell the tale properly about familiarity and how this is effective... As a zombie story, I think we really need to look at the fact about every time you opened up an Archie comic book, you knew exactly what you were going to get. I personally always got the Jughead Double Digest, and I really like to get the ones that came out in and around Christmas time. Not because that they would release an entire Christmas-themed Jughead Double Digest, although there usually was at least one Christmas story in it, and the rest of it were just stories that were taking place kind of anywhere. I couldn't really understand when I was reading those books at the time that those stories that I were reading may not be identical, but they were similar enough to what Archie Comics were doing all the way back over 70 years ago. And so that meant that the same types of Archie Comics that I was reading in the 1980s, late 80s, early 90s, when I was old enough to read, probably more early 90s, but they were the same stories that my mother was reading, my father was reading, and subsequently my grandmother was reading, my grandfather was reading. These stories were as fucking tried and true as a cola formula. And people loved them. They were really popular in the 1960s. There was this huge explosion with the world of Archie expanding into a lot more characters that would become staples, cementing the classic love triangle of Betty and Veronica. And also Dan DiCarlo's art, which became the Archie house style that everyone would recognize. So artists drawing Archie would be judged on how indistinguishable they were from Dan DiCarlo, for example. I think for me, and maybe for a lot of other people, when I was reading Archie comics regularly, I was at that age where I really was on the cusp of being a teenager, and I really wanted to be a teenager. I wanted to have that life. I was always drawn to stories about people that were very similar to me, but then they just had 
a few more extraordinary things happen to them, and they happened in a funny way. So you have a funny friend like Jughead. You had beautiful women that you could be chasing after like Betty and Veronica. And with that, I could see myself through the Archie character, even though that my favorite character was Jughead. I could relate to a dude that liked to eat hamburgers and wear a whoopee cap, I suppose. And so no matter when you were reading Archie comic books, they were always the perennial teenagers. That was a thing that you could guarantee. So what the fuck happened? What changed? Because in the last, oh, I want to say five to six years, more than that actually at this point, Archie Comics started heading into bold new directions. Yes, you can still go to the grocery store and get those old Archie comics in the double digest format. But when you go to the comic book stands, stands, when you go to the comic book stores, you started to see different, more diverse characters getting introduced to the Archie universe. And then there's the Life with Archie story that took place, which was a far more mature take on the Archie comics in general. And then all of a sudden, Afterlife with Archie hit the stands. Now, we had seen something akin to this before. And the reason why I'm prattling on so much about the nostalgia of Archie comics and the familiarity of Archie comics is because what Archie accomplishes with Afterlife with Archie is letting you see characters that you know and love in a very unfamiliar and dangerous scenario. What is the primary problem with horror? The primary problem with horror is getting you to care about the people who are dying in front of you. For you to have sympathy towards characters in comic books or movies, TV shows are a little bit easier because you have more time with them, but a lot of times in movies you have 90 minutes. 90 minutes to establish characters and usually people are dying within the first 30 if not 40 minutes and then by the end of it not too many people are left. How do you identify with those characters? How do you truly feel sympathy for when they die? It's difficult. So a lot of times horror just creates tropes that we're familiar with. Here's the nerdy guy. Here's the jock. Here's the pretty girl. Here's the shy girl. Here's the smart girl. Whatever have you. These They just give you a generic person. So not so much that we feel for the characters, but we can see ourselves in those particular roles. You can watch a horror movie with your friends and say, Oh, 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 that's that's my friend Matt. Oh, oh, that's my friend Scott. Oh, that is so you. And then when they die, they say, yep, yep, that's exactly how you would act. And so we like it that way. That's only with some horror, though. With comic books, it's not uncommon to kill off characters, but there's almost a numbness to it, especially if you read superhero comic books, because anyone that dies in the superhero genre could easily just come back. It might take a couple of years, but they'll still come back. They always fucking do. You can't really end these comic book series unless it's an independent book, and then you're actually ending them. But I can tell you the first time that I ever experienced something like Afterlife with Archie, and that was when Marvel released Marvel Zombies. I had seen zombie stories before. I had watched countless zombie movies. But I opened up that book, and I saw Magneto, a character that I had known for years, seen in animated shows, read in comic books, seen on the big screen have his stomach ripped out and his intestines gnawed on by other characters that I was familiar with that looked weird because they were all zombified. You're reading a Marvel comic book and you're not expecting Peter Parker to eat Aunt May, to kill Mary Jane in the most brutal way possible. And so those images haunted me. They really stuck with me. And the first time I read it, I was genuinely disgusted, not with the content, but for how horrific it was. And so we have a fairly interesting formula. What if we take characters that are already 
established that people know that people love that people have fucking tattooed on their bodies and let's show them die but it's not like they just die of cancer it's not like they die in a gun accident they die by people ripping them apart and eating them and I think that's the closest thing in real life that we can get to an actual zombie apocalypse because we have those same emotions for these characters that we've loved for decades the same way that we can love a family member. Now, some people might say that's ridiculous, Wes. You're talking about real people versus fictional people. But if they make you feel real things, they're just as close to the real thing as possible. But what changed? Why take away all that familiarity and go in a new direction? Well, back in the day when John Goldwater and Louis Silberkleit created what would become Archie Comics, they wanted to adhere strictly to a standard of what Archie Comics would be, and that is very little change from the 1940s onward. When they decided to retire, their sons, Richard and Michael, took over the company, and they adhered to not change anything. So that was Archie Comics to the 1980s or whatnot. But then, as it happens, Richard and Michael both died of cancer. And so who were taking over the company? And that brings us to the modern era where Nancy Silverclight, Michael's widow, I believe, and John Goldwater is running the company. Now, Nancy seemed to want to adhere to the past and make everything the Archie standard that we're all familiar with. But I mean, Archie Comics at this point had been in severe eclipse and John Goldwater was the person who really wanted to push Archie Comics in a new direction. Amongst all of the changes that were going on within the company, which resulted in the release of far more adult content for the Archie universe, along comes Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who had this idea of, hey, what if there was a zombie apocalypse at Riverdale? What would that be like? John Goldwater instantly agreed, and they're off to the races, and now we have the Archie horror imprint which we never thought would be possible, which seems so bizarre on some levels, but in other cases, it makes absolute sense. It wasn't too out of the realm of normalcy for me because I remember they had Archie's Weird Mysteries, which was kind of a cross between the X-Files and Archie comics. It was a cartoon show that ran back in the day. I was definitely in high school or just going into high school when that cartoon was on. So yeah, I definitely remember that the idea of mixing Archie with horror and science fiction wasn't like, what? That, I've never heard of such a thing. And I love them. They're incredibly well-written, and that's how come I'm really excited to read these to you. I, the only regret I have is that you can't see the gorgeous, gorgeous art of Francesco Francavilla. And if I'm mispronouncing that last name, I apologize. But... I've made you all wait long enough. So, without further ado, I give you Afterlife with Archie. Written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Art, Francesco Francavilla. Letters, Jack Morelli. Creative consultant, Jesse Goldwater. One of the biggest visuals that I wish that I could get across to you guys was how much that this book just uses blacks and oranges so well. I mean, the whole thing just makes you think about Halloween. And it's funny, there was a, an old review for that anthology movie, Trick or Treat, that the writer, who I can't remember, I can't even remember anything about the review, they liked the movie, go figure, but they said the visuals 
were spectacular and they used the term throbbing oranges. So anytime that I see really vivid oranges, I can't help but always think, yeah, yeah, these throbbing oranges. So I don't even really know what that means, honestly. Throbbing oranges, but yeah, I would, yes, I would definitely say that this Afterlife with Archie comic contains throbbing oranges. We open up to a black, blood-spattered page, and scrawled down the center of it is, This is how the end of the world begins. We open to a tight shot, legs running, a person out of breath, panting. I should also note that not only is the cover containing blacks and oranges, the entire interior of the book consists of blacks, grays, and oranges in various shades. It's gorgeous, to say the least. A shot of a creepy house. Next to it, a jack-o'-lantern. The caption reads, On the Riverdale, Greendale border, at the witching hour, that darkest hour. We see the legs now. The panel is pulled back slightly. It's of a man. He seems to be carrying something large and hairy. A shot of an owl, silhouetted by the full moon, looking down at this person as they run. The caption reads, In the dead of night. The running legs hit the first step of the porch of this house. A long creak as the floorboards groan in protest. On the door, we see the surname of the people who live here. Spellman. A fist knocking hard at the front door. Bam, bam. Two women awoke from their sleep, look down at the head of the stairs. One of them says, Who in the name of the coven? The other. Knocking at this hour is always an ill omen. A grim pretend. Sabrina, girl, don't open that door. We see Sabrina Spellman of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, a creation from within Archie Comics. A lot of you might remember Sabrina the Teenage Witch uh, television show from the 90s, but this is where the character had her origin uh, within the pages of Archie Comics. And my introduction to the character of Sabrina Spellman was within the pages of those double digests. They always had a little short that would be about Sabrina and her aunts that she lived with, who were all witches. But like funny, cartoon witches. This one, we'll see. Sabrina says, Oh, honestly, Auntie, there's a spell of protection around this house. Everything's... She opens the door with a look of shock. Fine? She gasps. In the doorway, we see Jughead Jones. Tears streaming down his face. He's holding a large white dog. The dog is covered in blood. It's clearly dead. That's Jughead Jones' old dog, Hot Dog. Sabrina says, Juggy? Jughead. It's hot, hot Dog, Sabrina. A car hit him and, and I need your help. We see Jughead now, sitting on a chair, looking solemn. He's in silhouette. Sabrina is handing him a steaming cup of tea. Here, drink this tea, Jughead. What? What's in it? Some potion? Plain old chamomile to calm you down. One of Sabrina's aunts. We're sorry, boy. We see Sabrina's two aunts holding their hands out. Blue, greenish, grayish electricity, magical spells swirling around the lifeless body of Hot Dog. One of her aunts. 
it's the thinner one without glasses and she's a little taller, so I'm going to assume that's Hilda. The, her answer is Zelda and Hilda, and one was always depicted tall and thin, at least back when I was reading the comics way back in the day. So I'll, I'll assume this is Hilda. So Hilda says, We tried our healing magics, but your poor pup is gone. And uh, that would by default make this Zelda. Zelda says, Requiescat in pake. Jughead turns. No, 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 no. Hilda, yes, he was already gone when you brought him to us. If he'd still been alive, something might have been done. Zelda, perhaps, sister, bones could have been mended, cells regenerated, blood coagulation reversed. The dead body of Hot Dog, still floating in this green magic, floats over to Jughead. Jughead says, Come here, boy. Hilda, but once the breath of life has left the body... Zelda, well, there are limits to even our powers. Establishing shot, outside of the Spellman house, lightning crackles across the sky. Sabrina, clutching herself sadly, while Jughead stands in front of her, holding Hot Dog's dead body. Sabrina's ants standing in front of the two. Jughead says, Can't you, I mean, couldn't you, you know, bring him back? Hilda, Blasphemy! You're talking necromancy, boy. The most dangerous magic. Zelda. No, make your peace. Say your goodbyes. And remember, sometimes, sometimes, dead is better. I feel like I should be reading that Pet cemetery style. Dead is better. Because we are kind of going for a Pet cemetery vibe right now, aren't we? Jughead now leaving the Spellman house. Sabrina seeing him to the door. We see down at Jughead's feet is that jack-o'-lantern, a nice little touch. So Halloween-y, I love it. Sabrina says, I'm so sorry, Jughead. I know how much you loved him. Jughead looking back. Yeah, as much as you love Salem, Sabrina. Sabrina closes her eyes and tears stream down her face. For the uninitiated, Salem is Sabrina's talking cat. Sabrina enters her bedroom. Salem the cat wakes up while lying on her bed, and he stretches. Meow, what did I miss? Sabrina says nothing. We see a shot in the dead of night, Jughead putting his faithful dog, Hot Dog, back in his doghouse. He pets the lifeless dog. You're a good boy, Hot Dog. You're my, my best buddy. Sabrina now entering the library of her home. At the center is a black book with a label we can't see. Salem and Sabrina in the doorway casting long shadows towards it. Salem says, The Necronomicon, Brina? Sabrina, being lit by a lightning crackle, holding now the Necronomicon against her breast. Salem calls back to her as she walks out of the room. Hilda and Zelda will burn you at the stake. It'll be 1692 all over again. Sabrina simply says, Cover for me, Salem. I need to help a friend. And that friend, we see the lightning that starts in one panel transitions over to the next, and we're now in Jughead's room. He's just sitting on his bed looking sad, and uh, it's all drawn in grays. He's got a Nosferatu poster in the background. Very cool. Now, like at a scene out of fucking Salem's Lot, Sabrina is floating, looking angelic, 
just various shades of glowing orange coming through Jughead's darkened bedroom. Jughead looks out the window. Sabrina? Sabrina floating outside of Jughead's second-story bedroom window with the Necronomicon clutched to her chest says, Meet me outside Hot Dog's doghouse. And Jughead? Bring a shovel. We now see Sabrina, Jughead, the body of Hot Dog flying through the sky. Sabrina clutching the Necronomicon and holding on to Jughead. Jughead also has a shovel. Jughead asks, Where are we going? Sabrina, the very edge of Riverdale. Sweetlow Swamp, bordered by Carson's Creek. But for us, tonight, it's the river Styx. The river between life and death. Now in Grays, Sabrina still clutching the Necronomicon, looking away as Jughead digs and digs in the swamp. Jughead now wiping the sweat from his brow, leaning on the shovel. He's panting. Almost. Deep enough. Sabrina says, I can't help you dig, Juggy. Hot dog's yours. He belongs to you. Each buries his own. So you bury him. Now Jughead standing with the shovel in his hand, a mound of dirt still in the spade, looking down at Hot Dog lying in the open pit. He says, Jughead, I love you, you dumb goofy dog. Now Hot Dog is buried fully. Sabrina opening the Necronomicon, while Jughead watches, and all recite the incantation. Kanda, Estrada, Mantus, thunder and lightning, boom overhead, and the two were caught in a sudden, violent downpour. A shot of them both completely drenched, their faces still very obscured. Jughead asks, Now what happens? Sabrina, placing a hand on his shoulder, You go home, and wait. And Jughead? A shot of Sabrina creeping into her bedroom window. The lights are off. Don't tell anyone what we did tonight. Salem is waiting for her on the bed. She says, Salem? Salem replies, Sorry, Brina. I tried my best. Sabrina's caption from what she told Jughead earlier. We could get into major trouble. Sabrina now looking scared, while Salem's turned around looking shocked. Aunties, wait. I can explain. Salem. I hate when they do that. And we see Hilda and Zelda... But they're not the kindly aunties that we would recognize. They look like skeletal wraiths, long flowing stringy hair, even longer fingernails. They're floating, sharpened teeth, sunken eyes, skull-like features in general. One of their aunts says, let's say it's Hilda, because I can't tell. Because they both kind of look the same now. No need. There are rules, niece. You disobeyed us and broke the covenant. The other aunt says, let's say Zelda, Witch law demands swift punishment, a relinquishment of your powers, followed by immediate banishment. The three of them poof into another dimension. Literally just the sound effect of poof. Sabrina now sitting tied to a chair, surrounded by that same green magic as her aunt swirl around her. Hilda says, a year of silent reflection and atonement in the nether realm, away from the mortal world, under constant supervision should do it. Sabrina, please, 
Auntie, you saw Jughead. I needed to. Sabrina's mouth is covered by magical means, sealing it shut. She mumbles inaudibly. Hilda says, No, no more talking. You must learn consequences, Sabrina. Zelda, I know a year seems like an awfully long time, little Miss Raise the Dead. But in truth, you won't miss anything. And that is the last that we'll be seeing of Sabrina, at least for a little bit. An establishing shot. It's daytime. We're at Riverdale High School. Caption. The next morning, Riverdale High. In brackets, less than 12 hours to first contagion. A voice calls out. This is really important, Archie. Vis-a-vis the Halloween dance. Do you want me to dress as a sexy witch or sexy gypsy? There's a major difference, Archie says. Um, either? Both sound cool. And we see it is Veronica talking to Archie Andrews. Veronica goes on to say, Yes, but if I'm a sexy witch, I wear a pointy hat. If I'm a sexy gypsy, I wear basically what you wear every day. And here comes Betty. Veronica says, Did Hades just freeze over? Since when does America's sweetheart Betty Cooper crack semi-risque jokes? Betty replies, Since she caught her best friend stabbing her in the back, we flipped for him, Veronica. Archie and I are going to the Halloween dance together. Betty now grabbing onto Archie's arm. Which Hitchcock blonde do you want me to be, Archie? Janet Lee from Psycho? Or Tippi Hendren from The Birds? Archie, uh... Veronica, no offense, Betty, dear, but I doubt you could pull off either. All I'd need, however, is a bottle of peroxide. Oh, oh, I also have a sexy French maid costume, Archkins. Though, does anyone want to see moi dressed as a member of the serving class? Full disclosure, I've always been a Veronica man myself. And here we have the familiar scenario. We all know this. It's Archie standing in the middle of Betty and Veronica while they fight over him. Nothing wrong here. We have Archie entering the boys' locker room. You can see Reggie sitting on a bench. The caption reads, P.E. class, in brackets, 10 hours to contagion. Archie, Reggie, dude, you gotta help me. Veronica wants me to dress up as sexy something for Halloween, which is awesome. And Betty wants to dress as... Actually, I have no clue what she was talking about. But I obviously can't take both to the dance, so I was thinking. Reggie sitting up, looking kind of shocked and upset. Uh, Reggie? What's up? You okay? Reggie says. Yeah, Arch, uh, it was just, just a super rough night. We can see in a little flashback, Reggie is cleaning blood off the front of his car. There's a galvanized bucket in front of him, and that's full of blood. Archie says. Yeah, that crazy storm kept me up, too. Reggie, you... you haven't talked to Jughead, have you? Archie, not today. I texted him a few times last night, because there was this new man versus food on the Travel Channel. Why? Did something happen? We see a shot. The bright headlights of Reggie's oncoming car, blinded by them, is Jughead's dog, Hot Dog. Reggie, no, no, just curious. An establishing shot. Archie walking through the lunchroom. We see a lot of Riverdale characters, I think. I think that's Dilton? Not exactly sure. Maybe that's Moose over there? 
it's kind of hard to say. Everyone just kind of wears sweaters with R's on them. Caption, lunchtime. Archie is texting Jughead. Burgers in the calf. Checking in. You okay? Jughead standing outside his house. He's holding a ball. In text. Yeah, stayed home. Got a stomach thing. And here we have, it is Dilton, having a conversation with Chuck. Dilton says, I beg to differ, Chuck. Freddy Krueger would destroy Michael Myers, obviously. Chuck says, No, Dilton, he wouldn't. Since Myers never sleeps and therefore never dreams, making him invulnerable to Freddy's attacks. Archie texts, You're missing nothing. Feel better. Text me later. And it's all in, like, text speak. Jughead texts back, Will do. We see Jughead standing outside his house, Jughead's mother on the porch looking at him. Any sign of him, sweetie? Looking back over his shoulder, still holding his phone. Not yet, Mom. Thanks again for letting me stay home to wait for him, his mother says. Oh, honey, of course. Establishing shot, Jughead Jones is home. The full moon, a howling wind, and a long, loud, eerie groan. It's like a growl. It's like growl. It's kind of the sound it's making. Jughead's mother's caption. But I don't want you to worry. That dog of yours is always running off. And somehow, he always finds his way back. Caption. That night. Jughead opens the door outside, hearing the noise. A hot dog? Boy? The growl happens again. The shot of Jughead standing, coming through the mist. We see the shape of Hot Dog. It's black with just two dots, white dots for eyes. Jughead, is that you? A close-up of Jughead's face. He looks elated. Hot Dog. Hot Dog, it's me, Jughead. Close-up shot of Hot Dog. He's all fucked up and zombified. And he lets out that growl again. Jughead looking shocked. What's wrong, boy? Hot Dog lunges at Jughead. Jughead puts up an arm to defend himself. Wait, you... Oh, Lord. Hot Dog. Chomp. Hot Dog bites down hard on Jughead's arm. And it fades to black with red speckles of blood all over it. We now have Archie walking up to Jughead's house. From underneath the porch, he hears that same weird growl. The caption reads, The next day, brackets, Eight hours after first contagion. Archie hearing the noise. Hot dog? Jughead's mother waits down the landing while Archie heads up the steps. Jughead's mother. He won't come out of his room. He hasn't eaten in hours. His dad and I are worried sick. Archie. It's cool, Miss Jones. I'll talk to him. Make sure he's... Archie opens the door and looks surprised. Good grief, Jug. You look awful. We see Jughead sitting up in bed. He does indeed look like shit, but at least he's still himself. He weakly says, Thanks, pal. I <coughs> I appreciate that. Archie sits next to Jughead's bed. What is it? The flu? Jughead. <laughs> yeah. The super flu. Don't get too close. Archie. Should I call Doc Walker? Jughead. What I've got, Arch? No doctor's gonna help me. We see a flashback. And this time the flashbacks, by the way, are illustrated with a squiggly gray line around them. We see Jughead tending to his mangled arm. He looks sweaty and worried, and he's trying to 
with one hand wrap bandages around the wound. He's 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 got the medical tape in his teeth. Archie, it just bites that you're gonna miss the dance. Big Ethel's gonna be devastated. Jughead, she'll live. Hey, by the way, is Hot Dog sick too? Jughead, looking scared, worried, sits up. What do you mean? Archie, uh, oh, nothing. Just usually when I visit, he's jumping all over me, slobbering, but today, coming up the walk? I heard him under the porch, but he didn't come out to say hi. Not even when I... Jughead earnestly leans towards Archie. Leave him alone, Archie. No matter what, don't mess with him. Jughead now reaching out to Archie's shoulder to grasp it tightly. He's grasping with his mangled, bandaged arm. It's bleeding through. It looks swollen and weird. Archie looks towards the arm, but doesn't really mention it. Jughead. And make sure Mom and Dad leave him alone, too. I'll, I'll coax him out later, okay? Archie. Sure, bud. Whatever you want. The caption reads, time to go. Archie leaving Jughead's room, he looks back sadly. Hey man, even though Betty and Veronica would slaughter me, what if I skip the dance? Come back here, we order some pies from Vito's and watch the Creature Feature Marathon on AMC. Like old times. Jughead looking back with a weak smile. You, you're a friend of the end, Arch. And again, this is a really great way to open up this story. We have some weirdness with Sabrina telling us that, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. And then we have this kind of typical Archie story where there's a big school dance and Jughead's sick and Archie's big high-toned concern is, oh no, you're going to miss the dance. And now we were at said dance. Revelers of all sorts. We have someone dressed as a Catwoman and the Frankenstein's monster and the Bride of Frankenstein and... That kind of looks like a creature from the Black Lagoon, and that kind of looks like a Dracula or maybe a fan of the opera. Lots of cool costumes. Caption. The gym. And uh, Jughead's caption continues. But, nah. Go to the dance. Have the time of your life. Say hi to everyone for me. Even Big Ethel. Tell her she's awesome. And I'll see you later, hopefully. We now have a shot of Jughead's parents, his father reading the newspaper, his mother knitting something while sitting in a chair. Jughead's father. Well, well, well. Look who decided to grace us with his presence. Jughead's mother. Honey, why are you up? Did you decide to go to the dance after all? Standing in the doorway is Jughead. He clearly doesn't look like himself, even though he is in silhouette. We can see his whoopee hat. His arms seem thinner. The vague expression is kind of a, a, a half crescent line to indicate an eye and then a kind of another crescent to indicate a frowny face. It's, it's really subtle but very interesting. And he lets out a long groan. <sighs> Establishing shot. We're back at the dance and we see Veronica Lodge and she is dressed as Vampirella. And my life is complete. Caption. Meanwhile, Veronica. Nice costume, Archkins. A shot of the two looking at each other. Veronica, are you padded? Archie looking down at Veronica's costume. Veronica, you're crazy. What happened to the sexy witch? From off-panel Betty. Nothing happened. Veronica simply decided to embrace her inner bloodsucker. But don't worry, Archie Poo. Nurse Betty will give you a transfusion. Sure enough, uh, Betty is dressed as a very, very sexy nurse. The two women square off in front of each other. Veronica, Nurse Betty or Florence Nightenhag? Betty, 
For a creature that's supposed to be ageless, Vampironica, you're looking incredibly old and haggard. Archie, by the way, he's dressed as some kind of a superhero. It's kind of hard to say, like, it, he's wearing a P on his chest. Maybe for Pep Comics, where the character origins from? There was a superhero that Pep Comics was about, but it wasn't, it was the Shield, which is kind of like a Captain America character, so I don't know. Maybe it's a reference to something else that I'm just not aware of. He's a superhero of some kind, Archie says. Okay, if you're gonna start this jam again, I'm gonna take a punch break. Check in with my bros. We got Reggie here, he looks like he's some kind of a greaser. And uh, Dilton and Chuck. Dilton is dressing as Freddy Krueger, and Chuck is um, Michael Myers. Pretty cool. Archie says, Reg! While Reggie is slamming back some punch. Dilton. Dream Warriors and New Nightmare are the only sequels you can take seriously. The rest are... Well, uh, garbage is too strong a word. Chuck. I hear you. In terms of Halloween, I think you've got Halloween and Halloween 2, which are basically one epic movie, then Halloween H2O. A caption reads, On a crisp, cool autumn night, like tonight, outside the gymnasium where the dance is taking place, we see Ms. Grundy and Mr. Weatherby, I guess chaperoning, but they're just hanging out on the bench together. The caption reads, Outside the gym, chaperones on a break. Mr. Weatherby says, What wouldn't you give to be these kids' age again, Geraldine? Miss Grundy, Nothing, Waldo. I'm relishing my golden years, thank you very much. Come now, remember that one Halloween? And here's a, a flashback of a young Miss Grundy and uh, Mr. Weatherby hanging out in a cemetery. We snuck into Cypress Cemetery, just the two of us. You were so, so frightened. Mr. Weatherby, young Mr. Weatherby, Waldo will call him, says in an eerie voice. They're coming to get you, Geraldine. Miss Grundy says, stow it, you jerk. And now in present time, Mr. Weatherby says again, they're coming to get you, Geraldine. Look, there's one now. Miss Grundy, stop it, Waldo. I am not amused. Mr. Weatherby, teehees. He literally teehees. Teehee. Why, Miss Grundy, you're still afraid, Miss Grundy replies, and you're as ignorant about women now as you were 40 years ago. A close-up of Mr. Weatherby. <laughs> All right, settle down, my dear. There's nothing to be scared of. We see the silhouette of Jughead Jones walking all twisted up, knees buckled inward, one hand up into a claw, the other dangling lifelessly, one shoulder tilted, so his shoulders kind of look like they're at a 45-degree angle. He's silhouetted by a big full moon behind him. He's coming over a hill. Mr. Weatherby, looking at Jughead's form, says, It's merely one of the personal thorns in my side. Good evening, Mr. Jones. Enjoying the night air? Of course, gotta love this reference to the opening of Night of the Living Dead that they have done. There's so many... Sweet, sweet fucking horror references in this comic. I love it. We see in silhouette, black and orange, Jughead lunging several feet into the air to pounce on Mr. Weatherby, pushing him off the bench. Miss Grundy shouting, Waldo! Archie in caption. Seriously, Reg, what's your problem? Reggie leaning against a wall. Well, Archie confronts him. What do you mean, Arch? For starters, why aren't you in costume? Because... I'm hoping to make a love connection tonight, and I don't want to look like an idiot. Satisfied? Close-up of Archie, looking suspicious. 
Not really. You're a frat boy, Reggie. It's in your DNA to dress up like an idiot on a semi-irregular basis. Reggie looking solemn off to the side. Fine. I didn't have it in me. I wasn't even going to come out tonight, but I was going crazy just being at home. Archie, reaching out to touch Reggie's shoulder, tries to console him. Okay, now I know something's wrong. Halloween's your favorite night of the year, Reg, because you get to trash mailboxes, steal candy from little kids. What gives? We're buds. You can tell me. A close-up of the two boys talking. Archie in the background, Reggie in the foreground. Reggie in full silhouette. I... I did something, Arch. Something terrible. Archie. You're Reggie Mantle. You're always doing something terrible. Reggie. No. I mean, like, fully next-level terrible. I was at Pops with Midge. It was completely innocent, but there was this whole thing with Moose. We see Reggie and Midge and Moose, the, you know, the big, dumb, muscle-bound, but good-natured guy, is grabbing Reggie by the scruff of the neck and is going to punch him in the face. We now see Reggie driving angrily. This is all in flashback, of course, indicated by the squiggly gray lines. Anyway, I was pretty messed up when I was driving home, and we see the shot again of Reggie about to hit Hot Dog in the middle of the street. Reggie turning his head because he hears something. I was cresting the hill near Jughead's house when, from off-panel, Dilton says, Jughead! A shot of Dilton, still dressed as Freddy Krueger, gesturing towards off-panel. Hey, everyone! Jughead's here! We see a gorgeous splash page. Jughead Jones, his bitten arm swollen, infected, the rest of his body skinny, he is full zombified, one eye swollen open like a saucer, the other partially closed, his mouth dripping with blood, probably belonging to Mr. Weatherby. He lets out a groan. While he's surrounded by partygoers, Dilton says, And holy spit! His costume's amazing! Caption, 10.15 p.m. Riverdale. Brackets, full contagion imminent. Close brackets. And that is going to do it for our first issue of Afterlife with Archie. I hope you guys enjoyed that. It's an incredible read. I can't wait to read you more. So like I said, we're going to be taking you through the first volume of Afterlife with Archie so you can get the first complete story going on in this series. And then immediately following that, we are going to revisit our good friend Sabrina the Teenaged Witch in her horror comic book that spawned from this, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. If you guys want to hit me up and tell me all of your favorite Archie stories and reminiscing about the characters and what you think of the series and what you think of the Archie horror titles, hit me up on Twitter at Wes Knipe. You can also find us on splatterpictures.net. We also have a Facebook group. You can just search for Splatter Pictures or you can go to the SoundCloud, which is under the Dead Air podcast, I believe, but... It's also there. If you have any ideas about what horror comic books I could be doing up in the future, you can also let me know there. As always, I am your horror host, Wes, Dead Air Nipe, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.